All right, welcome back to the Celtics Lab Podcast. I'm your host, Cameron Tepizavai. I'm joined by Dr. Justin Quinn and Alex Goldberg. I always am. We will get to the postseason shortly, but to wrap up the regular season, we welcome in a special guest, Zach Noble of the Noble and Rouge Pod. Zach, how are you? Doing awesome. Just on the other side of a pregnancy and happy for playoff basketball here. And uh, Celtics are like my secondary team. I lived out there for three and a half years. So um, I've always been a pretty big supporter. Wait, so who's your primary team? The Timberwolves, born and raised in Minnesota. And yeah, it's unfortunate the worst franchise in the league. I'll claim that. But hey, we're, we're living large right now. Yeah, turning yeah. around. Congratulations. Thank you. Can you give me 30 seconds on Pat Bev? Fuck yeah, that's all. That's all you got. I mean, the guy. I mean, people want to give the whole culture change to Pat Bev. I mean, I'll give a little bit. I won't give as much to him. I like to give a little more to, honestly, Anthony Edwards feeding off of Pat Bev and Jared Vanderbilt doesn't get enough credit, and that will be my thirty-second tidbit of Pat Bev. But I am so happy he's with us. I mean, yeah. I mean, he's a slight smaller version of Marcus Smart. I mean, that's, I, I think they're basically identical clones and in, in every way possible, to be honest. And uh, I don't know. I think uh, Marcus Smart can probably just confidently guard a few more longer guys. So you're saying that you guys should be moving Pat Bev to point guard then? That, I mean, all right, you, you stumped me there. You stumped <laughs> me there. Uh, but I honestly don't mind him running the offense. I mean, it, it can be so much better than um, D'Angelo at times. I mean, it all comes down to the pace. But um, I'm so happy Smart is running the Celtics offense now, and it's been a blessing the second half of the year. And I've, I've thought it was going to be this way since his rookie year. So good to finally be kind of right on it. Uh, Pat Beverly, I, I don't think I'll ever be that confident. All right. Well, shout out to Pugnacious Point Guards everywhere. And um, Zach, there we go. Zach, thanks for coming on. All right. So we aren't here necessarily to gush about the Timberwolves, although that's been a lot of fun. Uh, instead, what we're going to do is we'll talk a little bit of Celtics news and a little preview of the postseason. But really, we're here to wrap up regular season awards because at the time of this recording, Thursday, April 14th, they have not been finalized, although uh, they're nearly there. There's been a lot of uh, leakage. Anyways, let's talk about the news. And the news is it revolves around the Nets playing the Celtics. This is the Celtics Lab podcast. So, Zach, let me go to you first. Uh, again, today's Thursday. So the news of the day is that uh, Ben Simmons might be back as soon as game four for the Nets. If Give me either from the Nets perspective or from Simmons perspective. Is that too soon or not soon enough? Not soon enough from the Nets perspective, but um, I just – I want to say they're playing mind games more. So I'm still closer to Bill Simmons than I am Jeff Goodman on this take right now. Bill doesn't <laughs> think he's ever going to play, but that's just him being in denial. Jeff Goodman thinks he's playing game one. Um, so I mean, that'd be life-changing for the Nets. It really would be, but um, I think the Celtics should be able to comfortably win either way with the way the Nets are playing defense. Uh, but I'm definitely splitting hairs on the series, and I would love to see uh, Ben Simmons show up as a fan of the NBA overall. Alex, uh, you worried about Ben Simmons from a Celtics perspective or bring him on? Not really. I mean, I think a lot 
we don't know what Ben Simmons is going to be like, man. We haven't seen him play in a year. I don't know. I just feel like it's, I mean, I'm frankly kind of baffled that Brooklyn is even trying this in the first place, bringing a dude back who hasn't played in a year in the most high pressure situation against this team and this fan base. I don't know. It just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So no, I'm, I'm not tremendously worried about Ben Simmons because I need to see him actually play before I can render some judgment on that. All I want to add to that is for both, both backcourt or front court uh, players who are currently out Robert Williams for the Celtics also getting some rumbles uh, of potentially returning early. I just need to see it before I believe it. And until then, I think both teams are better off just pretending that they're not going to have either available and focusing on, on the players they do have. Wait, what's the rumbles on Robert Williams? Like, well, there's been, May 1st? Yeah, there's been some discussion that he could return uh, fairly, fairly soon. They're being very, uh, from the Celtics perspective, they're being very quiet, but from what we are hearing about Holy his shit. on-court activity, uh, he's much more likely, he sounds much more likely to return because he is doing, on, he's not doing any contact, but he's, he's doing on-court drills and stuff like that. And, and what we're hearing about Simmons, he hasn't even started sprinting yet. So it seems a little less likely for his, so his case. You see videos of it, but then you hear Steve Nash. I mean, it's just all over the place. It's ridiculous. And that's a clutch client for you. But man, <laughs> yeah. if Ben Simmons shows up, you can play him as just a freaking off-wing defender. and He's going to make an impact. But yeah, I get it if you're going to just try him on ball right away. There's some... Yeah, sorry, just to clarify, the Williams rumbers, there, there is some belief, obviously, it's a little kind of murky right now, but there are some people saying that there's a chance he's going to come back end of round one, which would be That'd crazy, be legend. but... Legendary, for sure. I mean, that, but that's what's interesting, is it's a known quantity, the meniscus tear. I mean, he can't come back that soon. With Ben Simmons, the extent to which his injury is still a thing or he's work, ramping himself back it's conditioning or it's mental like i guess no one really knows but he's taking shots in jordans i mean he's not the practice videos aren't he's not wearing like actual true, basketball true. shoes yeah he there, there is some there's been some commentary that he needs to strengthen some muscles in his back to to keep the irritation that has been holding him out of games from from recurring which is not something that sounds like something you can rush. So I'm very confused. I, I do tend to think there's some gamesmanship going on here. Yeah, I, I just, I don't understand from a Nets perspective that this is a horrible way to frame it, but he's, you spent so much money on this asset. You really staked your reputation on like, oh, the, the James Harden thing wasn't a disaster. Look, we got Ben Simmons and rushing him back to, get into a game where he could miss huge free throws or tweak his back or get the yips again. I mean, I don't understand a team having Andre Drummond and Ben Simmons share the floor together. And so it just feels like a really high risk, high reward situation for the Nets. Call me ignorant or a dick, but I truly believe that uh, there's a lot more about money than his actual back issues. Um, So I don't know. I could be way wrong and, People come at me for that, but I, I stand firm on that just because I, I think he would really be playing if he would have for sure had his money won in his suit against Philadelphia right now. Sure. And speaking of money, let's go away from the X's and O's. Steve Pagyuka, Pag, how do you say it, Quinn? Uh, I say Pagyuka, but I can't. Pagyuka, thank you. 
that's one of those things that when you see it written down, it really, <laughs> really uh, my, my friend Steve uh, zeroing in on buying the football club Chelsea um, with, is it Bob Iger? Uh, Iger of Disney fame, XC. Yeah, uh, Bob, Bob Iger, um, Tannenbaum from the Raptors and one of the Facebook founders, which is to say that the Celtics uh, ownership group seems like they've got some cash to spend. I mean, they just bought an Italian football team, um, football, the soccer game, not football, the football. And Chelsea is no spring chicken. So any, Dr. Quinn, I feel like you might know most about this. Any tea leaves that you're reading or this is just business people being business people? Well, there are three other groups that have been shortlisted. One of the four is going to be recommended uh, to the government. It has to be government approved. I don't know the details about that. I'm definitely not the right Celtics Lab alumnus uh, for that. Josh, <laughs> get on the pod. Tell us about this. But seriously, uh, there is a very good chance that he might not get the winning bid. And if they do get the winning bid, even though it's an entirely different league and they can never end up playing together, there is, I read, a chance that he might have to divest of the Italian club, Atalanta. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. And for me, and as a Celtics fan, the only thing this says is you better not be cheap. Yeah, I talked a big game about let's not get into the repeater tax. And now if the repeater tax money is going to buy a soccer team. Uh, that bothers me. Uh, shout out to the Fenway group. You people seem pretty annoyingly cheap. Anyways, um, some more news, news, and then we will hop into the Celtics lab. Bear with us, Zach. So I didn't know about this until I guess this week that the division awards now come with new trophy names. And some of these understandably are named after former Celtics. For example, the central division, if you win that, you get the Wayne Embry trophy, the Northwest division, you get the Sam Jones trophy and the Pacific division, you get the Chuck Cooper trophy. The Celtics are the inaugural winners of the Atlantic Division's Nate or Nat Sweetwater Clifton trophy with that big win over Memphis. So uh, Nate Sweetwater Clifton, just for anyone who doesn't know, second ever black player to sign an NBA contract. Um, he's in that class with Earl Lloyd and Chuck Cooper in 1950, kind of breaking the color barrier um, for black Americans. There have been non-white people playing the NBA before that. Um, he also played in what was called then the Negro League. So he's a really serious two-sport athlete. So shout out to Mr. Clifton and shout out to the Celtics for hanging an Atlantic division banner. Um, the trophies are cool. History is cool, but division banners are not cool. Anyways, a couple other awards that may or may not mean anything. Jason Tatum, you might know him from winning Easter Conference Player of the Week three times in the month of March. He was not the player of the month for the month of March. That award went to Giannis, which, you know, Giannis did play out of his mind. Uh, coach of the month for our guy, Ime Odoka, for the month of March. So that's awesome. Zach, do you care about any of those things? In Minnesota, I really would. But <laughs> looking at, at from you guys' perspective, absolutely not. It's all about titles over there, which you guys are blessed to have that mindset. But yeah, in Minnesota, we're celebrating seven seeds over here. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Thank you for keeping us humble. Love that. Let's hop into the Celtics lab. But first, let's talk about our friends over at betonline.ag. BetOnline is the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest sports developments, including updated odds on the playoffs, primetime fights, or even next season's futures. And don't forget the start of Major League Baseball is finally here. 
Bet Online is your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's super easy to get started. Just head to the website today or use your mobile device to join. Use our promo code CLNS50 to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. So, Zach, you are here to talk to us about end of season awards. We did defensive teams, we did all NBA teams with uh, Kwani Lunas and Josue Pavone, and you are here to talk about all the other awards that get handed out for the regular season. So we're going to run through these. We are going to talk about them as long as we need to. Some of them I think will be a little longer in the tooth than others. And I'm going to go to you first on all of these. So first and foremost, we have the Coach of the Year Award. Zach, if you were handing out the trophy, who would you hand it to? So for me, um, it was really tough because I really liked the job Taylor Jenkins did. Um, John missed 20 games, basically, maybe even a little more. Uh, loved what Eric, Eric Spolster did because that lineup, I mean, if you look at it on paper, if you don't watch these guys play, they fit perfectly. Their team's built incredibly deep, probably the deepest team in the league, but like top-end talent. Jimmy Butler missing half the season, Bam missing half the season. That was incredibly impressive. But um, call me whatever. It's just Monty Williams deserved it last year. Chris Paul missed 22 games this year. Uh, I don't give awards based on past things outside of coach of the year. kind of matters to me in that regards. If you prove Mm -hmm. it time and time again, and he's been screwed out of it before in uh, New Orleans, I thought. He's my guy and uh, 64 wins um, just being dominant all year. That's more than enough. And I, I'd be okay if Taylor Jenkins won it, but I think Monty just really deserves this one far and away. So I going into this thought that this had been decided because uh, the coaches association had put out their, uh, their vote and so, Alex, I'm going to go to you. First of all, who do you think should win it? But second of all, how much stock are you putting into the coaches poll or any of the other things that have kind of come out in the most recent days? Well, I'm going to reverse that and just say that the coaches poll actually was also in favor of Monty Williams last right. year. Uh, and so that's two right. times in a row now that he has been the coach's choice for coach of the year. And has, he didn't get it last year, obviously. Zach, to your point, I do think it's definitely true that Monty got screwed last year. I was saying at the time that Tom Thibodeau was not the coach of the year. Monty Williams was very obviously the coach of the year last year, and he should have won. That being said, I'm not really into the idea of retroactively awarding people uh, something, even though they might have been screwed in years past. It is an unfortunate reality with NBA awards that sometimes players and coaches often do get screwed when they That's probably That's not my main reason won. either. Let's I know. And Monty Williams has had a great season. I mean, he's done a really, really good job, particularly with Chris Paul missing 22 games. I mean, the Suns are a juggernaut. Everybody, I think, expects them to win the Western Conference pretty handily. That being said, I look at the job that Taylor Jenkins has done with this Memphis team, turning them from a like borderline playoff team last year that everybody just kind of assumed going into the first round uh, had zero chance of advancing and they were correct. 
uh, to a team that I think has a genuine shot to win the Western Conference if everything breaks right for them. The fact that Ja missed the amount of time that he did, that seemingly everybody on Memphis's roster has upped their game uh, with or without Morant on the floor. That, to me, speaks to real excellence in coaching. I hate to dock money uh, for the fact that the Suns already have a really well-established roster that's loaded with high-level NBA talent, but I did not think a whole lot of this Grizzlies team heading into the season, and I was proven extremely wrong. So for me, it's Taylor Jenkins. Cool. Dr. Quinn, what do you want to add? Well, I was going to agree with Monty, but that was a really good case Alex just made. And this is a really good example of, if you look in The Athletic today, David Aldridge talks in detail about the coach of the year race and narrows it down to a dozen potential candidates that could all reasonably be put forward. And I tend to agree. I know that Ime Odoka did a great job this year. Uh, I would love to vote for him if I had a vote, but he he had to struggle to get his team to do what he needed it to do early in the season. And it's very reasonable. I'm not criticizing that. Uh, so for those of you who want to nominate Ime for this award, I think next year may end up being his, his year for similar reasons that Monty is having, you know, a closer look at a very good job, just the same this season. So for me, I think I am still leaning Monty, but I'm really doubting myself after hearing Alex. So I'm for now, I'll go with Monty. Sure. Uh, I think it's worth shouting out uh, Eric Spolstra and Steve Kerr for navigating just like a ton of injuries and quietly landing at the top end of the standings. Um, and to that end, Nick Nurse deserves huge props. Um, but the correct answer is Emo Doka. This is the Celtics Slap podcast. Uh, good job out of you, coach. Good luck <laughs> winning the award. Um, yeah, Monty Williams seems like perhaps the nicest person on the planet. So I'm happy in advance for him to win that award. Uh, Some Celtics trivia. I'm going to swing this to Dr. Quinn and Alex. No, well, Zach Hoppin, if you know it. Three times a Boston Celtics head coach has won the award. I can give you years if you need some clues, but can you name those three coaches? Mitch and Doc. Third Hmm? one. I don't know. Uh, Okay, wait, say that again more slowly. Bill Fitch. Bill Fitch, 1980. Very good. Uh, Casey in uh, Casey uh, Johnson. Nope. Jones. Jones, excuse me. <laughs> um, also, also not right. Yeah. Uh, I believe Doc Rivers won coach of the year at one point with his Celtics run. Nope. nope. Wow. That's shocking. We're getting okay. killed here. 1980. Um, Bill Red, Fitch. Red never won one. Red oh. won one in 1965. And in 1970. Oh, I know who one of them is. In 1973. Tommy Heinsohn. Yep. Ah, yeah. All right. Uh, I guess that bit of trivia was also brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Anyways, let's move on to the next award, Executive of the Year. And I suspect we're going to have a lot of overlapping answers. I'll go back to you, Zach. Who do you have as Exec of the Year? The one, the one award I didn't put my top 10 rankings out. I had 10 posted for... Um, coach of the year. I just want to say I had Yudoka at number five and Steve Kerr didn't even make my top 10, but wow. executive of the year, um, man, that's tough. Um, especially when I didn't think about that one ahead of time. Uh, you guys want to come back to me? Anybody know there? Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. I can go first. Uh, what Alex was identifying about the Grizzlies, 
uh, that's what steered me towards Zach Kleiman. Um, as much as Ja deserves credit and Bain deserves credit and all of these young guys stepping up deserve credit, some of the moves around the margin and the willingness to stick with that core deserves perhaps even more credit, or at least in this case, that's why I'm giving out the award. I thought the Steven Adams trade was so smart. I think I said at the beginning of the season that that was an under the radar move. Um, Kyle Anderson, uh, that continues to be just like an unbelievable, a bit of veteran off the bench scoring. Um, the whole thing works. The whole thing is authentic to itself and the whole thing is built in, I think the NBA's third smallest market, something like that. So, uh, what is happening with the Grizzlies? There's a number of awards that the Grizzlies could win. And I think it would be well-deserved and make me very happy, but I'm going to say that the front office led by Zach Kleiman down in Memphis deserves this piece of hardware. I have a different perspective because a member of this podcast uh, over the course of the last year advocated for trading for Al Horford, bringing back Daniel Tice, trying to uh, do basically what a particular executive has mostly done uh, this season, you know, adding a connector. It wasn't the spur I wanted, but I'm very happy mm-hmm. with the result. So are you the executive of the Yes, year? I am. How did you know? <laughs> Actually, Brad Stevens. I think Brad Stevens has done some really amazing things that are still taking people to really, some time to really appreciate uh, in ways that he was actually criticized for in a lot of corners uh, for initially doing the Horford trade was seen as an overpay, the Derek White uh, trade was seen as an overpay. I mean, all of these deals at the time were not looked upon particularly kindly yet are coming together in ways which, I mean, realistically, he probably couldn't have seen it coming together like this, but the the general uh, pluses and minuses for making these moves and then having it work out as well as it did, that has to mean something. I mean, there's plenty of good arguments for ex- exactly what you said for Memphis and a lot of the situations we see with Coach of the Year as well, uh, because it's not just a coach who's making some of these successes happen. But for me, again, being a Celtics Lab podcast, uh, I'm going to go with, with Brad on this one. All right. Two, one vote, Brad, one vote, uh, Kleiman. Alex, give Zach a little bit more time. What do you got? Um, well, you know, I think Zach Kleiman is a really good executive and obviously he made a brilliant move in hiring coach of the year, Taylor Jenkins. So we have to give him <laughs> some credit for that, but I'm with JQ on this one. I think it's gotta be Brad Stevens and it's not just the trades that Brad made. It's also the fact that he frankly took some money out of Marcus Smart and Robert Williams co- uh, pockets, locking them up to long-term deals that look like theft right now. Those guys are on some of the best contracts in the league. Uh, And the real thing that kind of stands out to me is that Brad has created, uh, people were mad about the draft picks. I, yeah, what, I don't care about those people. They're stupid in my mind. But um, the main thing that the main reason I don't care about the draft picks is because Brad has locked in this court for the next three and a half to four years for the most part. Al Horford is the only guy coming up where there's a concern about what he's going, what his next deal is going to look like. We'll see uh, what happens there. I have a feeling that the Celtics will at least be keeping him around for another year, but the core, I mean, if you look at the contracts that are there, Robert Williams, Marcus Smart, Derek White, all of those guys are under contract for three years after this season. Jalen is under contract for two. Jason Tatum is under contract for four. 
Uh, Daniel Tice is under contract, I believe, for one more year. Grant Williams is going to need to get an extension this offseason, but I imagine that he's probably going to get it. This core is locked in for a good amount of time, and it's a core that clearly is getting some significant results. So for me, it's Brad. All right. That's two, Brad, one, Zach Kleinman, Zach Noble. Did we, did we stall long enough? Yeah, that was perfect. So <laughs> Memphis, I mean, they, they've they had these guys. I mean, it wasn't this year. Taylor Jenkins was incredible last year. So I, I don't know how they he, they could even be in the running. And to your guys' point, I mean, given Brad Stevens, that's a fine one. I'm cool with that. But um, it's you got to think really hard on this award this year because there's no, like, groundbreaking trades or deals to really um, set somebody apart. But um, a team that would fall right into the mix of what you guys are saying is the Timberwolves. Um, Sasha Gupta just for staying put even, but this really isn't even his, his doing. I mean, he stayed put at the trade deadline so we could give the uh, womanizer Gerson Rosas the nod and a guy who's not even in the league. That'd be something. Pat really Bev. cannot stress enough how much we should not Pat, give Gerson Rosas. Bev, the culture changer. And then you got Jared Vanderbilt, who's on the league's best contract at 3 million a year for the next three or four years. Um, and then Chris Finch. I mean, yeah, we hired him late at the end of last year, but uh, man, this is first real year. But my pick isn't Sashin, so it isn't Gerson either. So what I'm going to do is flip a coin between Miami and Chicago. Uh, Miami, I mean, Kyle Lowry was an amazing signing. He's the reason why they stayed afloat uh, by all regards outside their depth and Eric Spolstra. Uh, but Victor Oladipo, I mean, I still believe in him. He's showed some bright spots towards the end of the year, but just find guys like Gabe Vincent, Caleb Martin. Um, I think, yeah, that's the Martin twin they have. Uh, but uh, Arturis in Chicago, man, they wouldn't have been a playoff team without DeMar DeRozan this year. They wouldn't have. Yeah. Um, Zach Levine missed a lot of games. Vooch was better than people say he was, but he still um, he struggled to fit into that third role a little bit. Uh, so I'm going to lean towards Arturis. I mean, cause I'm not a huge Billy Donovan guy. I'm going to give him the nod on this, uh, because Caruso had a big impact when he played and yeah, just DeMar. I think DeMar's accounted for more wins this year than just about anybody. Yeah. I, I, that's actually a really smart pick insofar as like, we know what the Lonzo Caruso, DeMar, Levine, Vooch team looks like, and the, the executive didn't make the injuries happen. So I don't know that he'll end up winning the award because the the balls have petered off, but I suspect you're right about just pound for pound the number of moves coming in. Uh, all right, let's Bonte keep it Green, too. Yeah, old friend, deep, deep friend cut. of the podcast. Yeah, there we go. He looks so good in Bulls colors. Uh, all right, let's keep it moving. Let's talk about the most improved player. I think there's a lot of interesting candidates, some that may or may not play for the Boston Celtics. Mr. Noble, do you have a most improved player in mind? I do. Absolutely. This is always my favorite award because the thing I care most about the NBA and what I enjoy the most is watching players grow and improve and just projecting shit. Um, So most improved is tricky this year because the person I think far and away should win the award missed a lot of games. So you can argue for other people. Um, I honestly, people are going to say because he made a leap last year, but he took superstar league this year went from all-star to superstar and that's John Morant. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, he only played in 58 games, but, 
Um, that's more than enough. You would have stayed at that same level. You can't argue any other way. Um, it do, it's not about being valuable either. The team was great without him, but he literally went from all-star averaging 19 last year to 20, almost 28 this year. Um, the other arguments I have DeJounte Murray, number two, Darius Garland, three. I will not put a second year guy in this award because Luka Doncic had the biggest leap of all time and got screwed. So I'm done talking about second year guys in this award. Um, I'll hop in because I have Jaw as my number one. And uh, I think he did play enough games. And I think the, the box scores speak for themselves. He improved as a shooter. He improved, obviously, as you said, on scoring. He even improved defensively. He is, he is not, uh, you know, Pat Bev or Marcus Smart, but he's not a sieve. He's, he's gotten a lot better on defense. I worry that he's, like, quite literally too athletic for human knee joints, but that's another conversation. Um, I'd love, love, love to see John Morant win this award because I do think the games missed is going to keep him off people's uh, first, second, or even third team ballots, but this is an award that I would love to look back on 10 years from now. So my pick is John Morant. I think it's the one award games played really shouldn't matter as much either, because if you played 30 games, you're probably going to stay at that same level. That's a big enough sample size for me. Sure. Alex, uh, I see that Zach said something about your candidate. You want to ask that? It's true. Zach did mention my guy, and it's Darius Garland for the Cleveland Cavaliers. I think Ja has a great case. Uh, I think there's this is one of the tightest award races out there. There's a number of guys that I think have a really compelling case. Also want to give a shout out to Jordan Poole, who I think should be considered as well. But for me, it's Darius Garland, considering that, um, first off, so Colin Sexton goes down in a heap at the beginning of this year. Um, the Cleveland Cavaliers then promptly go on a pretty impressive run at the beginning of the season to force their way into the Eastern Conference playoff um, conversation in a way that really they haven't been. Obviously, they kind of were there for a little bit last year, but nobody ever really thought that that had any sticking power. This year, Mm -hmm. the Cavs have actually been a pretty difficult team to play. And a large part of that is that Garland is really emerging, not just as a pure scorer, but also as a guy who can play make off the dribble. Some of the passes that this guy is throwing are really advanced, high-level stuff that requires a very sophisticated feel for the game. Um, I think it's a really close race, but in terms of the jump from good quality starter to like locked-in all-star, I think for the foreseeable future in the Eastern Conference, I think it's Garland's award this year. Dr. Quinn, what do we miss? Jonte Murray, the other spur that I was hoping we would find some way to get onto the roster. Uh, that was never a realistic proposition, uh, particularly when you see the leap he made. Uh, in part, scaling up his game because we did take Derek White out of the equation for him, but he was already on a trajectory to be in the running for this award even before that. Uh, he, his scoring went from 15.7 points to game to 21.1 uh, points per game. Uh, he almost doubled his steal, or excuse me, his uh, assists per game, assists per game from 5.4 to 9.2, uh, and steals per game 1.5 up to two per game, and two per game to average over the course of a season. It's really hard to do, particularly if you're doing all this other stuff. So for me, it's pretty clear cut that it's Dejounte. Dejounte averaged 17.4 last year, by the way. Did he? You're trying to boost these numbers here. I see. 
No, I'm, I'm looking Propag- at the reference right now, and it says 15.1, 15. 15.7. 15. Uh, oh, shit. Sorry. God, <laughs> I'm looking at Darius Garland. I'm looking at Darius Garland. So <laughs> I just want to say, too, I agree with everything everybody said, but are you choosing because you think DeJounte made a bigger leap from last year to this year? That's for me, yes. Compared to Ja? Uh, not compared to Ja necessarily. I just think that overall – the, the different areas where he elevated his game was a more difficult thing to do for me. Sure. All right. Let's keep it moving. Uh, the correct answer to this one was Robert Williams, but uh, that's okay. We'll, we'll try again on the next one. Uh, let's do six man quick so we can carve out a little more time for MVP. Um, the sports books for what it's worth, including our friends at bet online have Tyler hero as a prohibitive favorite for the six man uh, award. Anyone, anyone wants to shove out? I have one in mind. Kevin Love outside of that, but Tyler Hero, I mean, he was number seven for me and most improved. He's If he doesn't win this award, it'll be one of the biggest abominations of all time. There is a good case, though, for Kevin Love in that he really – I don't know if it's fair to give him an award for not throwing tantrums anymore, but he uh, – he, he really changed the way that he played and he has been a very significant part of why the Cavs maintained their ability to win through so many injuries in their backcourt. So for me, at least the combination of, you know, being able to accept the role gracefully uh, in a way that actually does complement the younger, younger players in a way that through no fault of his own, because I mean, he wasn't being passed to the season before uh, it was just a disaster of a situation. I'm not really sure if you can award him something uh, that was kind of more of like an internal dynamic than necessarily in comparison to other players on other teams and other situations, but there is a good case there. Well, to that end, Tyler Hero was always going to be the sixth man in uh, in Miami, whereas Kevin Love, to your point, has had to learn what that looks like and what that feels like. So I, I do think he gets points for making that pivot. And to that end, I'll, I'll briefly shout out Bobby Portis because he's, not, he's definitionally not the sixth man because Brooke Lopez got hurt. He became the fifth man, but he served so admirably. I mean, Bobby Portis has had kind of a tumultuous career. He's maybe not always a starting caliber center with respect to the POTUS, but he stepped up. And I think that we overlook This is the thing I want to talk about. We overlooked the box and I'm very impressed with the service that he's provided. And I think he will kind of go back to more of that six man role in the postseason. So it is heroes uh, award to lose. And I think the smart money is I, I this morning saw 10,000 minus 10,000 for hero. So I don't think that any money is going towards that. Anyways, let's wrap with MVP. Uh, We don't need to spend so, so long on this because lots of people already have, but Zach, I will go to you first. Who is the 2022 NBA MVP? So as much as I really wanted to give it to the other guy, because I do like him. I'm alumni of his college and, uh, I just like his personality. He's my he's my guy. It's just every case you can make for Joel Embiid, Jokic is right there. I mean, the mm-hmm. only the only thing that you can say is points per game. That's literally it. But it's not far off when you break it down to points per possession and then you bring in every single other thing that goes into the MVP award. 
it's just, there's just not an argument. I hate people out there trying to make it about analytics. It's not, um, for me, I mean, you remove Embiid from the Sixers. They're still a playoff team with or without Harden in my estimation. I think Maxi could have damn near averaged 25 without Embiid this year. And, um, I think Tobias Harris would have been so much better. Um, Tobias went down because of, I mean, Harden and Maxi's emergent emergence. Uh, I just think that team's still very good overall. Where if you take Nikola Jokic off that team, you can't tell me it's remotely close to the talent Embiid has. Aaron Gordon, are you kidding me? The, these guys aren't averaging more than fifteen to seventeen points if you remove Jokic. So. Um, yeah, you could argue the Mike Malone versus Doc Rivers. That's the other argument for Embiid, but um, it's pretty clearly Jokic for me. I'm okay if you give it to Embiid, though, because it is that it is that close, but um, all the arguments are there to combat him with Jokic. Alex, I know that you have uh, Jokic. Anything that Zach missed? I think Zach hit the nail on the head. And I do think it's really tight between both of these guys. For me, the difference ultimately does come down to the fact that Jokic is playing with like Twitch streamers and off-duty firemen. That's really hard to win in the Western (laughs) Conference when you're doing that. Um, I do want to give a shout out, though, to the guy who's probably going to end up finishing third in this MVP race, which is Giannis, who I think when push comes to shove is ultimately the best player in the NBA. Um, I do think that Giannis had a really great shot to win this award as recently as like two weeks ago, but, uh, Milwaukee's cowardly ducking of the Brooklyn Nets, I think seals it for me. It's gotta be Jokic. I don't have too much to add to any of that just because it's been beaten to death. Uh, I love what Giannis has been doing, but it's a full season award. And even apart from the end of the season, also the beginning of the season, they were coasting. It's understandable. I would be too after having won a title. It's hard. They need time to heal their bodies. They don't get it. Um, So I don't really have a strong opinion um, on any of those three. If you were to vote for any of them, I would not take issue with it. I'm leaning Jokic for the reasons that have also been outlined, which is not the most compelling answer, but I am very excited for Jason Tatum to win it next year. Oh, Where yeah. did you guys have Tatum though? Or did you not order? Cause I went down to fifth. Wow. I love, I, I can handle probably fifth. Fourth is a little bit of a stretch, but you yeah. can make the argument for sure. I got him at seven. Especially if it's a full season award. Um, one thing. So I, I want to hop in uh, first. Uh, I think that there's really not a bad argument for either Jokic, uh, Giannis or Embiid. If you look at the advanced stats, they, are top three by a big chunk in PER, win shares, box plus minus, and FORP. So the advanced analytics, it's not, as much as this is a narrative-based award, if, if you remove all emotion and narrative from it, these three players have just run circles around everyone else. And to that end, if they're not on your all-NBA first team, I don't know what you're doing. Um, I recently I've been a Jokic MVP supporter for as long as it's made sense to worry about MVP. And a lot of it has to do with the analytics. I recently in the past few weeks have decided that I think it's Giannis because Giannis has been playing better than he played in his MVP season for, I think the team that's going to win the NBA title. And as much as 
yes, this Jokic season deserves to be memorialized and celebrated. There is something, and I know it's a regular season award, to say that what the person I think is going to be finals MVP had an MVP caliber season. Alex, though, you're right that the they didn't that the there's no gravel in their gut at um, lying down like a lamb at the end of the season is really disappointing. That's gotta and, matter. And that's that not works. yeah, the, the MVP award is not like the toughest player award, but Jokic played like an MVP for 82 games and Giannis played like an MVP for 77 games. Um, so if shout out to Embiid, if Embiid wins, he was shattering scoring records. He was putting up statistical equivalents to like Wilt Chamberlain and Shaq. Um, and to that end, shout out to that month DeMar DeRozan had, but, um, I think it's Jokic if it's Giannis or Embiid, I'm not going to lose sleep because all three of them had just momentous seasons and the data are really compelling. If you look at them, which I am right now, uh, all right, we can't thank you enough, Zach, for shining clarity on what has been a complicated set of awards. Let me close with this. How far do you think the Celtics can go? I think they can win it all if Robert oh, Williams yeah. comes back in the second round. I really do. Uh, but, man, I think he, he's going to matter um, a little bit in this first round. I, I really do. Um, I just think Kyrie... He he came out and said the the Tice Horford shot. I'd, I that think was that's Bruce a over. What's that? <laughs> that was uh, Bruce Brown. That wasn't Kyrie. <laughs> oh, it was. Shit. Yeah. Okay. That's even more degrading for sure. Wow, that's <laughs> embarrassing. Uh, oh, I thought. Okay, that changes a lot. But um, yeah, that's a just, smart thing to say. But yeah. Yeah, I, I think uh, if the Celtics get past this first round, I, I got the Bucks winning it all, I really do, and then versus the Suns. Uh, but I truly think the Celtics have, um, right now, I'd give them about a 30% chance at winning, uh, maybe 20 to 30, somewhere in there. But if they get past the Nets, shoot. I mean, I think 40%-ish, and as long as they can fight with the, the Bucks, I mean, but – um yeah it's it's the rim protection for the bucks and I'm, how consistent they can stay and um yeah it's going to be interesting i'm so excited for this year because i i do think the east has a few that can can win i really do um in the west i think it's it's one team there's nobody that's really close to them besides the warriors um so I hope they can bring their A game. I really do, but I'm worried about them round one. Uh, if they get out of round one, I think they can beat anyone. Uh, but I think it's going to be a six, seven game series. Should be fun, boys. Well, uh, first of all, I love the optimism. Thank you. Go Timberwolves. Second of all, if you want to know more about how the Celtics will fare this postseason, stay tuned for the next episode of the Celtics Lab podcast, where we will preview the entire net series. And if you like the cut of Zach Noble's uh, jib, you can check him out at the Zach at the Noble and Roosh pod. Zach, thanks so much for coming on. And uh, yeah, best of luck to the Wolves this postseason. Huh? Guys, we've been following each other and talking for a long time. So I appreciate you guys having me on and um, good luck this postseason. Definitely want to see you guys make a run. Hey, fun, if it's fun team. Tatum. Tatum is a boss, man. He can, he can carry it. I love that. Just call this episode Tatum is a boss. Um, yeah, Zach, if, if it's Celtics Wolves in the finals in the first playing ticket out there. <laughs> Fuck yeah. No, you guys got a place to sit. Anytime. Perfect. 
Right, well, check out Zach Noble all over Twitter. He's the king of Twitter polls and pods, and he's on the Noble and Rouge podcast as well. Zach, thanks so much. Appreciate it, guys. Take care. Take care, Zach. Man.